All right. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you all. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, I want to welcome, uh, I have some family here. They're over in this section. So welcome, extended family. And all of you joining on live stream from anywhere in the world, uh, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, I want to give a heads up. We were talking about serve day. I had a picture. But I want to give the kids a heads up. I don't need that yet. I'm going to have a question from the sermon. And at the end of the sermon, if you answer the question right and you're picked, then you can win this prize, an action Bible. So be paying attention. I'm not going to give you any clues to what it is. You just have to actually pay attention the whole time. So should be good. Let's start with a story. I can remember the sound of the urgent voice on the speakers overhead rushing us to the front of the building. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of customers and we only have five minutes to close the store. I was in Provo, Utah, spending a summer uh, helping a church plant. And in Provo, Utah, you can feel the urgency of the Sabbath. You feel it on a Sunday afternoon when you go to the store and all the stores are closed. Or on Sunday morning when no one is driving a car because everyone is walking to the closest building for a service. And you feel it on Saturday night at 11.55 p.m. when the workers are urgently trying to get everyone out the door so that they are ready for Sunday, the Sabbath. Today we find ourselves in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four, the Sabbath. And our goal is to understand the relevance of that command for us in the new covenant that Jesus started. And as we've seen, understanding how things translate from the old covenant to the new covenant can be rather tricky. It can be kind of complex. I think that one of my co-pastors called this topic a can of worms. Another one mentioned Sabbath, so thank you guys for giving me the tricky passage. I appreciate it. Um, no, but in all seriousness, they've, they've done a great job, my co-pastors, giving us some language to understand how do things from the Old Testament translate to the New Covenant. And so here's one example. I got this from, um, from previous sermons. That's at the grocery store. Uh, some things in the Old Testament are kind of like this Porsche here. I'm, I took this from Aaron. Um, 64 Porsche, a 21 Porsche. You know, they're different, but they look pretty the same. Like, you could kind of tell. This is basically like copy-paste law from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Uh, other ones are a little bit more uh, different. They're expanded laws, let's say, like the 77 Civic to the 2022 Civic. Yeah, it's hardly the same. They're both white, but everything else is pretty much different. But there are other things between the Old Testament and New Testament that are different than these examples. They're more like a VW Beetle being transformed into a rocket. <laughs> and so that kind of leaves us with the question of this Old Testament to New Testament black box. How do we know what's a Porsche? How do we know what's a Civic? How do we know what's becoming a rocket? if that makes sense. I'm going to give you the punchline early today. I'm not going to leave you in suspense. I'm going to give you right at the beginning, and then we're going to build towards it. And it's a little bit uh, provocative. It might sound bizarre to you at first. So are you ready? 
What I'm proposing, I want to persuade you of this morning, is that in the new covenant, for us as Jesus followers, that we ought to obey the other nine commands in the Ten Commandments, but not this one. But the reason for obeying the other nine is surprising, and even more surprising is the storyline of Sabbath from Old to New Testament. As a heads up, for the sake of time, I will not be able to get into the topic of Saturday Sabbath, Sunday Lord's Day. That's a great topic. Just don't have time. We could talk about it later. So here's our summary before we get into it. The Sabbath day mandate from the Ten Commandments is no longer required for Jesus' followers. However, in Christ's new covenant, its expression offers greater rest than anyone could have ever imagined. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray as we dig into God's word. Well, Jesus, each one of us is coming in this morning, in some ways weary, maybe in our bodies, maybe our hearts are weary, maybe we're discouraged. Jesus, we want to come to you and your word to find rest this morning, rest for our souls. We pray that through the means of just hearing your word spoken with listening ears, that you would do something supernatural this morning in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Our passage today is on page 61 in the Bible in front of you. You can look at it there, or I also have it on the slide uh, up here. Page 61, we're in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and we're going to start at verse 8. Look at the Sabbath command in the Ten Commandments. And here we go. This is God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And that's the passage for today. We're going to look at a little more, don't worry. All right, so let's talk a little about this interesting command. One thing that's unique about this in the Ten Commandments is this is the longest of all the Ten Commandments. In Hebrew, this makes up 42 words. Uh, it's the longest. Some of the other ones are just three words. So this one is distinct in how much text is given to it, how much ink is in it. Um, Let's talk about the actual word Sabbath. So Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word that means to cease, like to stop, or to rest. And we get a little bit of context definition for what this is in case if you've never heard about this. It's a six and one pattern in terms of days, and it's referenced based on the creation narrative itself. When God in six days created everything that we see and that we can't see, and on the seventh day, he rested. And as it says in Exodus 31, and he was refreshed. Not because he was tired, but because he was showing something important with it. And interestingly in the Bible, 
This topic of Sabbath goes completely silent from Genesis chapter 1, nothing in Genesis, all the way it pops up in Exodus chapter 16. God's people have gone through the Exodus, they're in the wilderness, and God gives them something to test them, let's say. They get manna from heaven, heavenly bread, and God tells them each day they're going to gather it, get enough for that day only, lest it turn into maggots. Day one, two, three, four, five, it's just like that. Day six, they gather two days worth of manna because the seventh is going to be a Sabbath. So they're supposed to rest. And something interesting, normally when we think of Sabbath, we think of rest, but another theme that pops up with Sabbath is trust. Trust is a key theme of Sabbath. He tested them in the wilderness when he said, Don't gather anything on day seven, and on day six, gather two days worth, because they had to trust him. What if he doesn't provide bread? What if this bread gets all full of maggots? And so God gave the Sabbath for rest, and he also gave it to convey an opportunity to show trust. So that's the command itself. Let's zoom out now to the first five books of the Bible and try to get an overarching view of Sabbath in the Pentateuch, all right? Uh, A few things we're going to look at. Look at at Exodus 31 here. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It's almost like if you could say, Maybe someone said this before. What is the most important commandment? We know the answer from Jesus, right? But at that time, I wonder if someone might have said Sabbath. Because he says, above all else, obey the Sabbath. A few more things that show just how important it is. He says, the people of Israel shall keep Sabbath, observing Sabbath through their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. On the seventh, he rested and was refreshed. So you're getting the idea that this is a pretty important thing. He calls it, you know, this great command, and then he says it's even a sign forever. Let's look at one more way it's really important. Death for disobedience. Death for disobedience. In Exodus 35, it says this. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire um, in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. This is a pretty big deal. Anything where if you do wrong, you get executed, it's probably a pretty big crime. And we see it played out in the book of Numbers when someone goes out to gather firewood. Now, I'll let you know ahead of time, when I first read this as a kid, I always thought like, man, this seems pretty cruel. This is kind of rough. But this guy knew the rule, and in front of everyone else, he's going and publicly doing the thing that's known to be wrong. So, uh, in Numbers 15, here's this guy, the people of Israel, they're in the wilderness. They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath, probably to kindle a fire. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Sabbath's a big deal. Disobeying it, 
It's a big deal in this covenant. It's so important that not just people Sabbath, but even the land. The land gets a Sabbath. Now we're get, this is good. We're getting into Leviticus, you guys. You're going to love this. Watch this. I'm not kidding. When you come into the land that I give you, this says the Lord, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. So basically, years one through six, they, they do their gardening, they plant their seeds, but then they're supposed to take a break. This is interesting because in their, they're an agrarian society. They're very vulnerable. They don't have fridges and Costco's nearby, so their life is dependent on their crop. Here's what he says next. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Because we didn't plant crops, remember? Um, I will command my blessing, this is what the Lord says, in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. So this is another example of trust in Sabbath. You remember the manna in the wilderness? Day six provided for six and seven. Well, now when it comes to the land, they're supposed to give the land a break. And then God actually provides six, seven, and eight. He provides triple because it takes a while for the seeds to be sown and then to grow enough for them to eat. So once again, we see Sabbath is an example of trust. But then God gives a warning regarding the land if they disobey his covenant, if they don't um, follow through on their covenant. He says this, uh, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains and their seasons, and the land shall yield its increase. But if you will not listen to me, if you will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, what happens? I will scatter you among the nations a.k.a. exile. Exile if they break the covenant. And then he goes on to say that then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you're in your enemy's land. The rest it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. So God gives this warning if they break the covenant, the covenant we've been studying this entire month and more, then they would be exiled and the land would get a rest because it had not, because they hadn't been obeying the covenant. Perhaps it's a warning. So two big things so far from the Old Testament. Sabbath is really important. Can you agree with me? Does this seem like a really important theme in the Old Testament? This is a big deal. And then key themes, you probably already knew rest, but I'm trying to persuade you that it's also about trust. It's also about trust. Let's follow this theme and see how it plays out in the rest of biblical history and what unfolds. So unfortunately, the descendants of these people, they do break covenant. All the things they said at Mount Sinai, yes, we will do this. They do not. They go into the promised land under Joshua's leadership, and even though they've been warned, they go after other gods. They break covenant with the one true God, Yahweh, And as God promised, he does lead them into exile. This is from 2 Chronicles 36, a little bit small. 
Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon. This is years later. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. They became his servants. And then look what it says at the end. And then it says, according to um, the mouth of Jeremiah, the words that Jeremiah said, that the land lay desolate for 70 years. So previously, Jeremiah said, hey, you guys, judgment's coming, and you guys are going to be in exile for 70 years. Why 70? Because for 490 years, the people had disobeyed this command to give the land a Sabbath, and so one-seventh of 490 is 70. And so their punishment for breaking the whole covenant, not just Sabbath, was 70 years of exile, according to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25. So they're taken off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed Jerusalem, a lot of it, including the temple in 586 B.C. The people were taken to Babylon. A new empire took over. It was the Persian Mede Empire. So then they became the reigning power. And one of the rulers, his name was Cyrus, was given a scroll by somebody. It was a Jewish scroll. It was written by the prophet Isaiah from 160 years before that, in which the Lord said, my servant Cyrus, I'm going to paraphrase, he will send you back, you will rebuild my temple. And so he read it, and he was astounded, even though he was not a fearer of the God Yahweh. He says, all right, I'm going to do it. So he sends the people back. And they get there a little bit early. It takes them a while to get things going under the leadership of Ezra. And in the year 516, the foundation of the new temple has been built. 586 to 516, 70 years which were prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. Ezra is not done when it comes to the temple. He wants to do more. He is tired of the people breaking their covenant with God, treating God lightly. And so he brings about this radical reform of scripture study and obedience to Jerusalem. And so Ezra comes to town and he gets people fired up in obeying God again and promising we are going to keep the covenant of the Lord. That generation lives for a while and a while later something else happens in the world. Alexander the Great takes over the known world including this area. And not only do they occupy the area, but the Greeks have a goal to Hellenize everyone, meaning that everyone there would give up their way of life, their religion, their worship of God, the one true God, and to become like them. And so under um, the people rebel, they fight back. They literally fight back under the leadership of the Maccabees. A revolt happens and they get their land back. And they're tired of all this all these people disobeying covenant and there is a fervor to go back to the old days and obey the covenant of God, to be faithful, to do their Sabbaths. And so there is a rabbi who arose, a rabbi who arose with great influence in Jerusalem, a rabbi with a conservative approach. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Rabbi Hillel. You thought I was going to say Jesus, didn't you? <laughs> Rabbi Hillel, he took a conservative approach and he had that same spirit of like, let's get back, let's obey the scriptures, let's take a conservative approach to interpretation. 
And downstream from him, his influence came a group of people, you're going to know this, I'm not tricking you, came a group of people known as the Pharisees, who, which was not a negative term at the time. They had a conservative approach, let's obey God's scripture, let's be faithful to our covenant. They were so faithful, they're so excited that it wasn't enough just to know the 613 laws of the Old Testament, they wanted to define all of it. So, so for instance, with the Sabbath, what does it mean exactly to remember the Sabbath? Or what exactly does it mean to keep it holy? Or what exactly does it mean to not work? And so they aim to codify all of that in their lifetime. And that tees us up well to get to the New Testament. We've set the stage, we've got the background, now we're able to see where is the theme of Sabbath going in Christ? Where is it going in the New Covenant? And what we're going to discover is that the VW Beetle is being transformed into a rocket. Are you ready? Here we go. So we're in the Gospels, and something interesting happens with the Sabbath in the Gospels. Jesus purposely does a lot of things on the Sabbath. You could say he does two things on the Sabbath. Jesus goes to synagogues to teach and to heal. Actually, maybe you could say there's three things he did. He came to teach and he came to heal, and he also purposely healed on the Sabbath to teach a lesson to the Pharisees and to reveal something about himself. And so you guys know there's so many episodes, I'll call them, between Jesus and the leaders where he does a healing or he does a teaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue and they have some kind of dialogue. You know, a, a man with a crippled hand, a lame man beside a pool, a man born blind who are all healed by Jesus. I won't go through all of them. Maybe I'll give uh, one or two examples of what Jesus did. Uh, let's talk about in Luke 13. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. There's a woman who approaches. She's bent over. She has had a crippling spirit about her for 18 years. She hasn't been able to be straight. Jesus saw her. He called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. But the ruler, check this out, the ruler of the synagogue said this, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So first of all, wow, Jesus can heal people. That's really amazing. But look at these words of the synagogue ruler. Do you recognize those words? Yes. The synagogue ruler is quoting from the Ten Commandments. He's quoting Exodus 20, verse 8. He's, he's conservative. He's going back to the Bible. He's telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, says this in the Bible. Um, you shouldn't be doing work. Come for healing on another day. And it's important to recognize that Jesus is not actually breaking the Sabbath. He is breaking their codified rules for what Sabbath obedience looks like. Uh, but nonetheless, Jesus is foreshadowing a hint of where he's going with Sabbath. A day when there won't be anyone with a disability. There won't be anyone with a disease. There won't be any more death. Let's look at one more briefly. Um, in this episode, Jesus' disciples are in a field and they're hungry. And so they grab some grain nearby and they start to um, 
to um, get it between their fingers so they can get the seeds and start to eat it. And the Pharisees are irate and they're ready to jump on it. And they're like, hey, Jesus, your disciples are disobeying the Sabbath. Correct them. And Jesus then gives this, which I don't have time to go into the, to all this, but he gives them something of a confusing answer, telling them that at one time, David actually ate the bread that only priests are supposed to eat, and he gave it to other people, um, which has a whole story in of itself. And then he uses these words. He said, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So in other words, Sabbath, this is a blessing. This isn't meant to be a burden. It's supposed to be a blessing. You guys are turning into a burden. And then he asserts his authority when he says, the Son of Man, that's his term he says for himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus reveals he, and he alone has the authority to unveil what Sabbath is going to develop into. Something more than just a day, something more than a VW Beetle, but a rocket ship, which we're going to uncover and understand more of. It's interesting, right before this episode, the words, if in our Bibles we've got chapter divisions, but if you erase those, look at the words that come right before this story. You'll recognize them immediately. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. So Jesus' intent, even in those episodes on the Sabbath, was to reveal the true rest, a rest for his souls that one day couldn't provide. One day wasn't enough of. All right, so there's the Gospels. Let's move to the letters of the New Testament and see how this theme develops just a little bit more. And once again, we're surprised. We're shocked, actually, because when it comes to the New Testament, naturally, we would expect a lot of ink, a lot of commands about the Sabbath. Because you remember how important it was? This is a great commandment. This is central. This is big. People die if they disobey it. There are zero times in the whole New Testament where the Sabbath command is reiterated, where it's repeated. The Sabbath day command is not repeated explicitly in the New Testament. Furthermore, there's only one time when the Apostle Paul uses the term Sabbath day. I'll show it to you. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. What Paul is doing here is he's taking things from the law, Moses' law, and he's lumping them together. Food laws, Jewish feasts, Sabbath day. He's talking about all those at the same time. And he said all of those are a shadow that point ahead to Jesus. Or to maybe to use a, um, a term we're used to today, those were the prototype, but we're waiting for the final thing that's still yet to come. So now that Christ has arrived, we don't need the prototype anymore. It had its purpose, and it still points ahead to him, and it's still good, but the greater thing has arrived. Something greater than the temple is here. The Son of Man has the authority to show where the Sabbath will go. And so Paul tells us, hey, those were a shadow, and so don't let people judge you on those. They are just a shadow of what's yet to come. 
And so interestingly enough, the nine other commands from the Ten Commandments, which we are studying, each one of those is reiterated or even um, expanded in some form in the New Testament. But the Sabbath day is not. And so that's why I say that we should obey the nine of the Ten Commandments, but not for the reason that we think. Because they're in the New Covenant, not because they're in the Old Covenant. Um, and this one, because it's not mentioned, it's actually expanded into a rocket ship. Let's look at one more to make this a little bit clearer. Romans chapter 14. Similar, uh, the Apostle Paul gives us these words. One person esteems one day, you can picture the Sabbath probably, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So one person says, hey, this Sabbath, this is special, this is holy. Another person's like, hey, I think the whole week is holy, man. Jesus is in all of them. Some people think that. Something, and then he, he goes on to say this. Um, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind about it. So if you do it, if you do a Sabbath, let's say, you do it in honor of the Lord. But if you abstain from it, he's mixing food and days, so don't get confused. If you abstain from a Sabbath, you're doing it to honor the Lord. Either way, it's for the Lord. But you should be fully convinced in your own mind. So that's pretty easy to understand, but I want to back up and show you just how radical this is. Let's do a little contrast here. Exodus 31, Romans 14. Exodus 31, everyone who works on the Sabbath, who profanes it, shall be put to death. Think about the stick collector. He got stoned, right? Romans 14, New Covenant. One guy's like, hey, I'm going to honor the Sabbath. Great. Another one, nah. All days are holy. I'm going to go grab firewood, and I'm going to do it for the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Look at the shift that happened. Look at that contrast. I think it's crazy. So here's my summary of what's black and white and what's gray. Some things are black and white, some are gray. You ready? Here's what's black and white. We'll start on the left. What is wrong? Mandating a mosaic Sabbath. Black and white, it is wrong. If someone says, hey, in order for you to get saved, in order for you to be right with God, in order for God to love you, you have to obey the Sabbath, that's wrong. That's heresy. That's not true. But what's gray? What's an area for Christian conviction on the right? There's freedom to observe a Sabbath in honor of the Lord, should one choose. Again, the context there, they're closer to their Jewish roots. We're not quite as close in our context, but nonetheless... There's freedom to observe a Sabbath and honor the Lord. Two more things that are black and white that are wrong. Judging someone else based on a differing Sabbath decision than you. You can talk about it. You can uh, dialogue about it. You can disagree about it. But judging someone who came to a different conviction is not okay, according to Paul. That was later in the verse. I didn't get to it. Uh, Finally, the last one, which is wrong, is thoughtfully practicing a Sabbath or thoughtlessly abstaining from practicing a Sabbath. And this is the part where I feel like maybe we'll hit home with most of us. I think most of us in here are not likely to go around and preach on the corners that everyone needs to obey a Sabbath to go to heaven. There's probably not many of us in here doing that. But there might be a number of us who've really not given this topic much thought and not searched the scriptures and not been fully convinced in our own mind. So, 
Consider that. That's what Paul um, would tell us. One more New Testament scripture. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 9. It says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. I remember being in college and uh, I was growing in my study of the Bible. I was growing in my fervor. I was growing in being a conservative interpreter of the scriptures, maybe quite like the Pharisees. And I was also good at just looking at a couple verses and not looking at the whole thing. So I remember just looking at these verses and thinking, ah, wow, there you go. We are supposed to obey the Sabbath because it's in Scripture. It's clear as day. A Sabbath rest remains. I think I should take a Sabbath. Now, maybe there's a reason you want to take a Sabbath, but you shouldn't do it based on this verse, and I'll tell you why. Paul, or I don't know, the author, it might not be Paul. The author does not mention that it's a Sabbath day. He mentioned a Sabbath rest. And in the context, he's not talking about us in 2023 taking a Sabbath. He's talking actually about the generation that took the promised land, the Joshua-led generation, and God promised them rest. They finally made it to the promised land of rest. They experienced abundance, so restful. And they experienced rest from their enemies, peace. Finally, the rest that God promised. But no, there was more. They weren't satisfied because God intended a greater rest than just abundance, a greater rest than peace from their enemies, a greater rest than one day could provide. And that's what the author of Hebrews is hinting at. And in fact, the whole book of Hebrews talks about this amazing restful salvation, which in one sense is right here, right now. You can reach out and touch it. But in another sense, it's also beyond your fingertips. And it's coming from another world and you're hearing echoes of it, but you're not there yet. It's called Already Not Yet. You guys have heard it. And so I want to give you a summary of the Sabbath rest gospel that we get from Hebrews that Jesus foreshadowed in his ministry. All of us here, we're longing for rest. We've been pining for rest ever since Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden They were expelled into a wilderness exile where they experienced thorns and thistles, a sweaty brow, and working until their bodies finally worn out to dust and died. We live in a world in which we are longing for a rest externally and internally, a rest from our toilsome work, but also a rest for our hearts a place where we'll find acceptance, a place where we'll be secure and loved, a land where we'll never die. Jesus Christ was God's solution for our restless exile. God's son Jesus left his homeland and entered into the wilderness of restlessness with us. And Jesus experienced thorns, thistles, a sweaty brow, everything that we experience. 
And he lived a perfect life with regard to the law. And in fact, he even obeyed the Sabbath. And Jesus tasted death for us. He was crucified in our place. And once he was dead, he was buried very quickly in honor of the Sabbath. And on that Sabbath day, the body of Jesus rested. He didn't move one inch. Until the following morning, the day after Sabbath, Jesus resurrected, conquering death once and for all, unlocking the unimaginably great rest that all of us have always longed for, everyone who will trust in him. This is the rest that Jesus offers us, that he foreshadowed in the Gospels. He offered us a rest that already we can experience. Whereas in the Ten Commandments, they were commanded to cease from all work completely for one day. In this new covenant, Jesus says you need to cease from all works of salvation, trying to earn your way to God, working as hard as you can to get God to like you. The cross was a salvation by grace, not by works. And so we need to rest from all of our works to earn God's favor and come to him. In this new covenant, he offers us the amazing rest of forgiveness, complete forgiveness, all the things we're ashamed of, wiped away, and the offer of divine love, to be loved not by a mere human, but to be loved with a God-sized love. And talk about value. Man, being a child of God, calling on God as Father, friends, These are ours right now. We are not waiting for these. These realities have hit us right now in the present. And yet, we are still waiting for more. Soon, we will experience these. One day soon, all of creation is going to follow in our footsteps into this experience. A world with an absence of sin no longer fighting sin, no longer doing what we don't want to do or not doing what we should. A place where there's no disease or death, where it's almost like pictures what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath, where all the diseased, all the crippled, all the broken, all the cancerous, all the dying are alive and are healed. A place where there's no more toilsome work, no more futile work, No more days where nothing happens. And even the great work we're called to, the great commission, bringing the nations to Jesus, is complete. Done. Completely done. But best of all will be his rest, his joy, his presence. One day Jesus is going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come to me. All of you who are weary, all of you who have been heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come and enter into my joy. And it will be like um, C.S. Lewis famously says, it will be that feeling when it's the last day of school. And summer break has begun. It's like um, waking up from a dream 
to a brand new beautiful morning. Every single longing that you've ever experienced will be fulfilled in him. And more, infinitely satisfied in the person of Jesus, the provider of our eternal rest. And so this, more than a day, is that greater rest than we all could have ever imagined. Ben, you can uh, come on up. I'm going to go a couple more minutes, and then you guys can finish with that last song here. Let me uh, tell you what I do with regard to the Sabbath day, and then uh, give a couple ways that we can take action here. Um, My goal in sharing this is not to give you a mandate of what your Sabbath day, if you do one, should look like, but rather... Uh, maybe to inspire you or just to um, add some food, some fodder for thought. Um, naturally, I'd be a workaholic. Naturally, I'm prone to find value in what I do instead of being an adopted child of God. And so I choose on Mondays as the day I don't work, and I actually do call it a Sabbath. But my reference point is not Moses' law, but my reference point is what I just described, that eternity ahead. And um, what I try to do, both my wife and I, we try to spend more time in God's Word to be refreshed in that story, whether reading the Bible, listening to a teaching, reading a book. Um, We try to spend less time on our phones because our phones seem to distract us from, from thinking deeply. We very intentionally enjoy the good gifts God's given us. Every Monday, my kids get a cereal. Just for Mondays, they don't get the rest of the week. It's full of food dyes and sugar, and they look forward to it. We go for runs because running is restful to us, because we're sedentary other times of the week. We go for a date, we eat tasty food, and we have deep conversation. I intentionally get time with my family because I want them to see me rest, and I want them to join me in rest. And we have unplanned time for spontaneity. And our goal is to walk in the already, not yet. So just know whatever we do, we're loved, we're forgiven, and maybe we're getting a foreshadowing of the greater reality that's yet to come. Generally, I start the weeks refreshed, but not every week's the same, but that's, that's generally what I do. Here are three, three things you can consider doing in response to this. Three ways that you can strive to enter God's rest, the rest that Jesus promised. One, just Pursuing that increased rest and anticipation in the gospel. Maybe you'll choose that one day a week you want to focus on that. Uh, Maybe you won't. Uh, But either way, you're going to be spending time in God's word, praying, having conversations with others that love Jesus, taking the bread and the cup, all these things that remind us and build anticipation. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus here today, and I do want to invite you Come and join us in this rest. It's greater than you could have imagined. Let's talk afterwards. I'll be right here in the back afterwards. Two more things. You can consider uh, trusting God regarding your worries. Remember, Sabbath's not just about rest. It's about trust. So whether it's um, future plans that you have or how God's going to provide money for you or maybe it's your um, parenting or your grandparenting where you get to something that's like, I can't control this. Trust God with it. You can trust him. And finally, consider wisely your work and rest expression. 
Consider that wisely. If you do to take, take a Sabbath, it's not because it's in the old covenant. It might be because of a wisdom thing for you, that it would be wise to rest. I do believe that Jesus annulled the Sabbath not so that we'd be all restless and never taking breaks, but he did it to give us an even greater rest. Can you imagine with me what the world would be like if we walked in this rest, the people around us, what they would notice, the gospel rest that we walk in? I think it would be very attractive to a world that is frenetically busy and is burnt out to see people who are so at peace. Why don't I say a prayer and let's sing the song together. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for this greater Sabbath that you've promised us in the gospel. Help us to be refreshed in it. Help us to walk away from this uh, with greater clarity and conviction. Build our anticipation for that day when you're going to come back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.